Hello, this is Amy Medling. I am a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva, and welcome to another edition of the PCOS Diva podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a subject, a topic that you most likely won't hear about in your doctor's office, but yet 60% of the population has this condition. It's the underlying cause for many chronic illnesses, and it's the MTHFR genetic mutation. And I've asked Angela Heap to join us today to share her knowledge uh, around um, DNA analysis and epigenetics, how it relates to fertility. So welcome, Angela. Thank you ever so much for having me, Amy. I'm really excited to talk about this because um, it's a topic that I'm really fascinated with myself and, and I use quite a lot in my practice as well to help support people who are having problems with PCOS and also fertility. Yeah, it's, I think, a really important topic um, to get um, into the hands of women with PCOS so that they can advocate for themselves. I just want to tell everybody a little bit about you, Angela. You are the founder of Fertile Ground Nutrition based in London, England. You are a nutritional therapist and an international expert in fertility nutrition. And in 2013, you had a 80% success rate followed by a 72% success rate in 2014. You work very closely with a number of internationally renowned experts in the field of fertility. And you write a regular blog and has, you've written many magazine articles on fertility. And you ha have been trained at the College of Naturopathic Medicine in London. So again, welcome. And, and let's dive in. What is MTHFR for those who have never heard um, that acronym? Well, well, I want to dial it back a little, actually, before we kind of jump straight in there with the genetics, because okay. I think it's, it's quite a dry subject, and, and a lot of people find it fascinating, but they also want to know a little bit more about it. I mean, we, we do know a little bit about genetics anyway, um, but I actually watched a really fascinating TED Talk um, a couple of weeks ago um, about susceptibility to disease and how this can be um, dictated in utero, so when you've basically been put together as a, as a new human being, if you like. Um, and I thought of you guys, and I actually thought of you, Amy, um, while I was listening to this, because it related to how um, basically famine or feast can actually alter a person's makeup um, and how they, they survive, basically, um, past um, birth. So the presenter talked about how babies born to mothers in occupied Netherlands in the 19, well, during the war, 1944, right towards the end of the war, just before they were liberated. It was a really, really traumatic winter. Um, and the babies basically in utero changed their makeup in order to survive. So they actually had different lipids and also insulin management. So there was a lot of changes there happening um, because they were already perceiving at that point that they thought that life outside the womb was going to be a very, very harsh environment for them. Um, so glucose metabolism and lipids obviously were important there to ensure that they actually survived past birth. Um, but what was fascinating obviously was when they were born, they were born to, you know, 
the liberated areas, you know, in Europe, everything was, was much more of a better situation then. It was past the war. Um, there was food in plenty. Um, and when they actually um, sort of tested a lot of these babies, you know, past 10 years, when they got older and 15, um, they were actually showing signs of insulin resistance and diabetes, and a lot of them were having obesity, which to me was fascinating, um, because obviously those are linked then to potentially people who may suffer from polycystic ovarian syndrome mm-hmm. and, and P- PCOS, um, you know, and who hasn't got sort of family or sort of genes that go right back to famine you know i mean i've i've got an irish ancestry so there's the potato famine there so you know i was thinking it's a really fascinating kind of intro into this whole talk about how um your gene pool um may be linked back to um famine or wars or things like that really and and i just thought it was a really really interesting thing to to look at in terms of how you know you can actually have all of these things um and it's all about genetics loading the gun but the environment pulling the trigger so you know a lot of these people had a lot of these problems um right from the start but if they'd had you know a very very sort of um you know a good diet and and hadn't been eating sort of things that were weren't so you know good for them really and, and encouraging those kind of problems um they may have actually not developed some of these problems later on in life um, so it, it really makes a lot of sense to me in terms of supporting healthy eating plans, the right lifestyle suggestions, and doing that as much as you can preconceptually to mitigate for some of these things because you, you never know what's happening in the world that you're born into, really. Yeah, that is really fascinating, and it, and it really supports some research that's been done about women with PCOS having you know, they kind of call them hardy genes, that we can survive famine. And so it's so interesting that that study um, really supported that theory. Absolutely. And I heard you talk on the um, the Holistic Pregnancy Summit about that as well, and I thought, oh, I wonder if that's kind of linked together. Because obviously if you can alter your lipid and, and insulin management, that means that you'll have telomeres, which we're all about sort of extending your life so again this is all about survival and that's what we're like as a race as a human race we're all about surviving and making sure that you know if these things happen to us we can actually you know carry on our family line regardless of having you know some of these problems as well yeah fascinating so so tell us how that may um relate to the topic today Absolutely. So what I'm talking about today, mainly for a lot of people um, who may be new to this, um, and apologies to those who aren't, who know all about this, um, is MTHFR. So um, what I'm going to sort of go back to really is a, is a bit of a genes 101, really, so people understand about MTHFR, because each person has about 20,000 sets of genes, um, and everyone is completely different on the planet apart from twins. Um, but basically, we have different genes, obviously, that relate to different things. And I often talk about this in regards to how it's sort of uh, expressed um, in terms of the genes being sort of recipes in a book, really, and your DNA being the bookshelf um, and how that's expressed. And we do have lots of different things happening in the body in relation to how some of these genes are expressed. Um, and I mentioned it, I've sort of alluded to it a little bit to begin with, um, where I talked about um, how 
the environment um, pulls the trigger, really. So genetics loads the gun and environments pull the trigger. So you may have some of these um, faulty um, genes in your makeup, but it's things like the environment that will actually turn on and express some of these things um, and cause some problems, um, particularly in relation to fertility and um, female problems as well, like um, sort of having a baby or having PCOS, endometriosis or fibroids, really. So the MTHFR gene is just one example of this evolutionary sort of situation that's happened. Um, And some of these um, gene mutations um, are actually a little bit like typos. Um, We don't know exactly why they happen sometimes, but I guess maybe things like famine, um, you know, and overabundance and things like that will cause things to change um, when you're actually being put together in utero. Um, An MTHFR is one of those genes that is in lots of different positions in the body, um, but the main areas that they study this gene, um, the main ones that they're looking at are in position um, 677 and 1298. Um, And those are the basic areas that they've done a lot of research with. Um, Just to sort of give you an overview of what it stands for, and I'm going to refer to it as the acronym mainly because it's a bit of a mouthful to say. It stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. So it's the name of the gene and also it's the name of the enzyme that also encodes for the gene. So what converts um, that key important thing that we're you know, talking about today with fertility, which is folate, um, and that's actually converted into an active form um, via this gene into something called 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. Um, so folate, as you know, is a really important nutrient for fertility and for sustaining life. Um, and many of the listeners will probably be sort of interested in this because um, they may be taking folic acid at the moment. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that later, but folate um, that you eat needs to be converted many, many times um, before it's actually processed by the body at a cellular level. And likewise, this is the same for everything that we have, really, and everything we ingest. We can't just sort of take it up straight away. It needs to be converted so we can use it by the body. So having MTHFR expressing um, affects so many processes in the body. Um, And if you have this mutated gene or SNP, um, which is what they call single uh, nucleotide polymorphism, um, it's going to affect how much active folate is available and how you can replicate this to support a growing fetus um, or even your own cell replication. Um, So it can cause um, a lot of problems in the body, as I mentioned earlier. So maybe could you explain to us uh, the difference between folic acid and folate? And um, I'm actually working on a new blog post about uh, a, a supplement that just hit the market. And on their marketing, they talk a lot about the importance of folate in pregnancy, um, you know, on the product packaging, but yet the product itself has folic acid. So they're kind of using these terms interchangeably, but yet there is, as you noted, a big difference. Can you kind of explain so that we can understand what the difference is between folic acid and folate? 
Absolutely. And it's, again, it's something that's really misunderstood, even by the manufacturers as well. Um, and in some areas, um, I think in the FDA, they're trying to shut down the use of the word folate um, in uh, supplement companies using that um, rather than folic acid um, because they want to obviously control the fact that folic acid is, is what they want to promote. Um, and just to give you an idea of what that is, um, people often say, you know, is there folic acid in food or there's lots of folic acid in leafy greens, but that's actually incorrect. Um, folic acid is a, a man-made synthetic um, vitamin which was put together in probably the late 40s um, in sort of response to people having some issues with getting um, amounts of folate in their diet. Uh, and most people would get folate in their diet by having um, uncooked leafy greens. Um, and that's basically where folate comes from. Um, it's called vitamin B9, and it's not the same as folic acid at all. Um, similar to drugs that have the same sort of chemical composition as, as some of the herbs that you'll be using for things, folic acid will have the same composition but will actually be recognized by the body as something that looks like folate but isn't actually folate or isn't real folate as if you were having um, sort of a bowl of leafy greens or something like that. So I just want to put it into context there really so that people understand when someone says to them folate and folic acid they are completely different things. One synthetic and one is completely natural um, and in the 1970s um, they started to kind of look into this a lot more because they saw a link between spina bifida um, and neurotube defects and also um, folate and the fact that, you know, the, the, the spinal column closes within, I think it's a couple of days to a week, really, when it's being formed between sort of week four, five and six. So you've basically got um, sort of a lot of scientists there thinking that this was a, a big deal and that if they could give... Um, women who may not know at that stage um, folic acid, which would then be used in the body to support a growing baby, this would actually improve the situation with um, people having less spina bifida and neurotube defects as well. Um, and I think quite a lot of countries across the world actually took up the, uh, the potential for this to actually then be mass produced and, and produced to um, the populations. So they, they actually put it into flowers and baked goods in a lot of countries. I think the US did that in the late 80s, early 90s potentially. And I think the, um, a lot of other countries like Canada, um, Australia, um, Chile, lots of South American company, uh, countries did it as well. So many. Uh, the UK didn't actually, and we haven't as such um, to date, um, because some of our scientists saw that this huge amount of folic acid that was being used, as it was synthetic, um, was possibly linked to incidence of colorectal cancer. Um, with isolating folic acid like that away from nature and putting it into a supplement. But um, sadly, I think it's been then used in a lot of supplements now and has been in most pregnancy supplements that I see that are standard sort of, um, you know, supermarket ones or, or basic ones that your midwife or doctor will support um, will have folic acid in there to a recommended daily allowance um, but basically to support what they see as the research behind this um, reducing the level of children born with neurotube defects. 
So I would really encourage listeners to take a look at their supplements and take a look, you know, if you're on a prenatal, if you're taking a multivitamin, check and see if you're indeed taking folic acid or if the supplement contains a natural folate. Um, and I know that that was very important for me when I was developing my line of supplements that they would have folate rather than folic acid. And also, maybe you could talk to us um, about B12. That's uh, a, a vitamin that many women with PCOS are deplete in, um, and possibly due to the fact that um, metformin, which many, many women with PCOS are on, depletes B12. Um, but also, uh, you know, with 60% of the population possibly having that MTHFR mutation, you need a special form of B12. Isn't isn't that correct, Angela? That's right. And and basically, B12 and a lot of the other B vitamins are kind of what they call in in the nutritionist world um, cofactors. So they will support the overall. Um, process of DNA replication, which happens and starts with having leafy greens or um, a supplement like your supplements have in the methylfolate. So B12, again, as you mentioned, a lot of people that have PCOS are taking metformin to help manage the insulin and support them um, to, you know, ovulate properly and, and all of the other symptoms that they're having with that. Um, but as you rightly said there, metformin, like many drugs, will actually rob you of quite a lot of your nutrients. Um, and it's not just people who are on metformin that have low levels of B12. Um, it's quite prolific out there in, in the public, really, people having very, very low levels of this. Um, if you're quite a strict vegetarian, you'll probably have low levels of B12 because you get this mostly in um, animal produce. Um, so it's really important for people who are not necessarily following a very good diet. They may have a kind of standard American diet and, and you know, aren't eating um, all the greens and lots of veggies and fruits and, and also having good quality protein as well, that they actually supplement with B12. Um, and again, the right version of that is important because most supplements you will see will actually have um, something called cyanocobalamin in there, um, which isn't really my favorite form of B12. Um, and like every supplement that you look at, they will have, um, you know, a, a factor in there that, that sort of helps you process the vitamin or the mineral better. Um, so I actually prefer a version called methyl um, cobalamin, cobalamin meaning the B12, um, or also hydroxycobalamin or adenosylcobalamin. So those are the versions that are in the active form, um, which means that they bypass lots of different processes and transformations in the body, and they can actually be absorbed fairly quickly in there without having to have enzyme um, breaking them down and supporting that. So, again, this is something that, you know, a lot of people that PCOS um, are very deficient in. Um, they're deficient in a lot of the B vitamins as well, and, and most of those really like B2, B3, B5, and B6 are really important for um, maintaining weight um, and managing that as well and helping you to break down the fat that you're eating and sugar into energy um, and basically supporting something else called glucose tolerance factor, um, which will actually sort of feed your, your body in terms of allowing it to break down and metabolize fat in the body and support 
um, you know, you to lose weight and to help you balance your fertility as well. And just to sort of summarize, so if you are one of that 60% or if you have that MTHFR um, genetic mutation and you can't methylate the, the B vitamins, you really need to have vitamins in the form of Bs in the form of methylfolate and methylcobalamin or the other cobalamins that you had mentioned. There's lots of cobalamins in there, really, but yeah. mm-hmm. any of those forms are are really good. Um, you know, some people may have problems, as you mentioned, methylating some of the active forms, and that's where having something like hydroxycobalamin or adinsil would be more prefer- uh, preferable for them. But I think most people generally, um, if you start them off slowly, can actually manage, um, you know, these forms of, of the active B vitamins like um, methylfolate and also um, sort of methylcobalamin as well. So both of those are really, really important um, for supporting that process where the body can break down some of the things that you're eating um, to allow you to gain energy and support some of the, um, the cellular systems in the body. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to um, women who, you know, I want to talk um, about how MTHFR affects women trying to conceive um, or even women that have suffered multiple, you know, miscarriages. Uh, Is that something that women should advocate to have checked with their physicians? Yeah, absolutely. Find out if they have that genetic mutation. Yeah, go ahead. I would say so. And I think you're kind of ahead of the curve in the U.S., which you're lucky with, really, uh, Amy, and and the listeners, really, because in a lot of places um, in the U.S., you can actually get tested for this um, as part of your insurance. Um, Unfortunately, in the U.K., it's not something that the the National Health Service will actually sort of support really straight off the bat if people are having um, multiple miscarriages. Um, and I think the research and a lot of it comes comes out of the states around MTHFR, um, mainly around um, a, a really sort of really clever guy called Dr. Ben Lynch, um, who's a cell and molecular biologist. Um, and he basically started looking into this probably about sort of five or six years ago, um, you know, and he started um, advocating it. He's a naturopath himself. So a lot of the stuff that he supports and his research looks at, um, the importance of testing for this to see if you have this, if you do have, um, you know, problems with estrogen dominance or if you have, um, you know, something in the family that looks at, you know, infertility and problems with getting pregnant and, and even things like PCOS. Um, so in order to, for us to replicate DNA, you know, having um, folate, as I mentioned before, is, is really important. Um, and I think... When we're trying to conceive, um, we all know that that we're sort of told that folic acid is the important thing. But again, as I mentioned earlier, it is folate really that's the key that the body will recognize um, to allow this to happen. Um, And it's such an important thing in the body um, to to basically uh, to understand when you're going through that process or even trying for it to build up your levels of folate um, by having, you know, lots of leafy greens. And also if, if on top of that you have an MTHFR mutation, um, to get your physician, your GP or, you know, your reproductive endocrinologist to actually test you for this. 
um, this particular gene. Um, you can get a blood test, um, but you can also get something which looks at loads of other genes, which I'm going to talk about later, um, through a saliva test called 23andMe, which will actually pinpoint only those specific genes that are actually mutated. Um, but it's a really important um, thing to do, I think, right from the start, um, is to get you know, lots of testing done to see where you're at in terms of your hormones, um, what's happening um, that particular point in, in the month for you, uh, and get those tested regularly to see whether um, you are actually having, um, you know, problems with MTHFR. Because, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a problem um, when you have got an MTHFR gene, but if you've had things like multiple miscarriages or preeclampsia in previous um, pregnancies or other things like um, sort of gestational diabetes or any inflammation like, for instance, um, autoimmune things like Hashimoto's or thyroid problems, um, to actually look at all of these things in, in sort of unison really and see if there is a correlation there. Um, because there's a lot of people in, in Italy and, you know, in, in the Mediterranean that have MTHFR, but they don't tend to have as many problems chronically with their health um, because their lifestyles seem to be, you know, a lot less stressful and their diet is deemed the best in the world, the Mediterranean diet. Um, so I think it's really important to get tested, but also to take that on board only if you seem to be having some problems with fertility or, you know, your PCOS is causing some problems with your fertility. Because there are some people that have PCOS that don't have any fertility problems at all. I know Victoria Beckham's one of those. I think she's notorious for some, <laughs> somebody as having PCOS and uh, she doesn't doesn't have problems getting pregnant at all. But uh, again, she may have some genetic mutations and this is something that, you know, people need to look at really. So maybe you could help listeners um, provide some information that they could take maybe after the call, some, some links that they could take to their doctor um, to, because I believe that, that we PCOS divas have to, you know, have the knowledge and, and be empowered so we can advocate for ourselves. And as I mentioned early on in the call, so many doctors haven't even heard of MTHFR. I know I had asked um, my doctor if he would test me, and he said, MTH what? He had no idea. <laughs> this is my general practitioner. And, and uh, I, was, I just returned from the uh, annual meeting of the um, American Society for Reproductive Medicine, and granted, there's hundreds of different sessions, and um, and I did actively go through the conference um, session outline looking for something about MTHFR and um, fertility, and did not find anything. So, you know, if our reproductive endocrinologists aren't hearing about it at their annual conference, um, then you know it's really up to them to, you know, be kind of on the cutting edge of what's going on in, in, in reproductive medicine. But sometimes we have to bring that research with us and advocate for ourselves. So you mentioned um, testing. So maybe you could kind of let us know how do we go about advocating for testing and what type of tests should we be asking for? Absolutely. And I think you've had a ton of guests on here probably who 
talk about testing and, and what's appropriate for your condition and, and in terms of fertility, um, some of the areas I've been discussing, one of the best steps you can do is, is get your practitioner to understand um, that you're on board with them, you know, and, and you're happy to work with them um, to do a little bit of research and, and have somebody that you work with that, that is understands that you're somebody that has an inquiring mind um, and if they're not going to be helpful then my suggestion is find somebody who will be um, I know it's sometimes mm-hmm. difficult to find a good doctor um, but there are you know lots of doctors that are trained um, are now being trained by this guy I mentioned earlier Dr. Ben Lynch he's doing a lot of um, physician training around the country in the U.S. Um, and um, you know he he does have um, a site where you can actually check somebody who is a doctor and MD who understands a little bit more about this. Um, and these are the people that are going to be much more um, clued up about what's happening to their patients um, and looking and delving deeper into, you know, not the usual things like just testing people for FSH and LH. They're going to be looking at the link between the thyroid um, and PCOS, the link between MTHFR and um, PCOS and, and also estrogen dominance. So my advice would be is to find a physician that you can actually work with that will actually take you seriously when you go into the doctor's office and say, I've been reading up on MTHFR or I've been reading up on my thyroid and I wonder if you could test me for this so that we can link this together and hopefully eliminate this if it's something that isn't something that's causing problems with my fertility. Um, And, you know, having a blood test is great. You can get that obviously through um, insurance and also, you know, going for the thing that I mentioned earlier, 23andMe, um, it's actually uh, a company that was set up uh, to look specifically at areas that, you know, some of the doctors weren't necessarily looking at. Um, it's very cutting edge, and um, what they do is they will test um, your saliva, and they will look at that in relation to some of the more common gene mutations that were sort of outlined in the Human Genome Project Um, And they're doing a lot of research with drug companies as well, because I think this is important. Um, You know, some drugs obviously won't work for some people, and a lot of the stuff they're doing at the moment is all about um, sort of drugs that work for people that do not have some of these mutations, and some of these mutations can cause problems with absorption or maybe an issue with them. So again, it's, it's kind of the future of modern medicine, I think, looking at your genes and seeing whether you have any issues with them. But again, like I mentioned, just you know, go to your doctor, have a, have a really candid chat with them and say, I'm looking at this in a much deeper level. Will you be happy to be on board with me with this when I come up with something and take me seriously, which I think is, is worth its weight in gold, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's great, really great advice. And, and I think it is true, you know, your doctor is ultimately ultimately at the end of the day working for you and if they're not then we do need to find somebody that will um so angela if if somebody wants to work with you um within your fertility practice how can they reach out to you and and how can they work with you they can come to see me via my website. Um, my website is www.fertileground-nutrition.com 
and you can reach me um, via um, a message there. You can send me a contact there if you are interested in working with me. Um, there's loads of information on my site about the topic I've been talking about today, MTHFR genes and you know mutations there that may be hindering your fertility and maybe that, that final piece in the puzzle, puzzle that you may um, be interested in, in sort of taking forward. Um, there's also lots of information on, on lots of different areas as well. Um, and I think have a look at my website and see if, if, it, if it resonates with you. And if it does, I'd be happy to hear from you. And I know you've already um, written a guest post about MTHFR and fertility for PCOS Davis. So we'll be sure to link that under the podcast as well. Somebody wants Absolutely. to dive in a little deeper. Absolutely. Um, well, and there's also something I'm looking at at the moment that um, I'm working on which I'll hopefully be able to give to you guys, um, which is an e-book that looks at genetics and PCOS. Um, and it's not looking just at the MTHFR side of things. It's looking at things like the CYPD genes and also the COMT genes as well, some of the detox pathway genes that relate to estrogen metabolism in the body, which is a really fascinating subject for me. Oh, wow, that sounds really interesting. Maybe you can come on and talk to us about that when you're ready. Sure, sure. If you're not bored of me already, Amy. Oh, no. <laughs> no, this this is great. Um, you know what? I also wanted to give a little plug to the Facebook fertility group that you help moderate. Maybe you could tell the listeners about that as well. Sure, absolutely. Um, I sort of volunteer on, I think, one of the largest PCOS um, sites on Facebook, PCOS Fertility Support. Um, and I give support on that in regards to some of the ladies' questions and queries about things, um, you know, as much as I can, because there's about 6,000 people on there. So, um, you know, feel free to, to find that on Facebook. Um, there's often people asking questions for Amy as well when she's got time to do that. So I know she kind of dips in as well um, and has done in the past, done some, um, some sessions where she's talked to some of the people on Facebook there. Yeah, it's it's a really nice group for women looking for uh, positive support in their f fertility journey with PCOS. I think it's kind of a unique Facebook group out there. So, um, it, yeah, thanks for your volunteer work there, Angela. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I actually love doing it. I wish I had more time. I wish I could clone myself and do more. Um, but uh, I think it's at the moment it's not possible genetically anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I know how you feel. Well, thank you everyone for listening, and I look forward to being with you next time. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, Amy.